Good morning, Misfits. You are tuning into episode 17 of the Misfit Project. I am your host, Drew Crandall. We are joined today by both Ted, as always, yep. and Sherby Sherb is in the house. Hello, hello. Sherb, you are here today because we are going to be talking about the ketogenic diet, keto, ketosis, the whole the whole shebang. And you have recently, sort of recently, made the shift from being um, primarily a sugar burner to being on more of what we would call either carb backloading or a cyclical ketogenic diet or you know something along those lines. Um, so I want to start right there and just ask you like anecdotally, what do you feel like the differences have been for you, both maybe in just life in general and then on an athletic performance side? Well, first we were on that podcast before about the intermittent fasting and for me, um, intermittent fasting worked well and the ketogenic diet seems to align with it because the protein and the fat keep me well fed so that the fasting becomes no issue. But for me, truthfully, having done enough like own research on nutrition, I know that I shouldn't be eating like cereal and I shouldn't be eating sandwiches day in and day out. So to me, it just aligned better with what I think is a healthy diet in terms of, I know I'm eating fat from good sources. My carbohydrates are primarily vegetables um, with some starch being included in there. But for me, it was just, it felt like a healthier diet because I had done the more of the sugar burning sugar style of diet. Um, just thinking about, Hey, you know, you worked out really hard today. You need to fuel up your muscles so they can perform again the next day and refeeding and refueling is super important so that you can continue to do that. But I didn't feel like I was doing it in necessarily the healthiest fashion. So for me, this is kind of going back to what I, what I think is healthier for me, which is again, eating quality food sources, because there was a time where I was starting to to toy with the idea of going less healthy just because I needed the calories, I needed the, the carbohydrates. And to me, while it seemed like it was working well for aesthetics, performance was more or less, just, you know, more same that it was on the fat, a more fat adapted diet. But at the same time, I feel healthier now because I'm eating, again, what I think is healthy. You feel like there's a inflammation component? Yeah. I mean, along with this, I also had a blood panel done. I think those two combined I'm taking some of the things out that were irritating my body, whether that was, you know, and you had a, or, and to just to clarify, um, your blood panel was food sensitivity. Correct. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily an allergy thing, it was more sensitivity, but between that and the cleaning this up, you know, normally I'd be walking around before at like 215, 217 pounds. And now I'm around 208. So there's been like 10 pounds that have been lopped off my body with still eating a, a ton of food. I don't feel like I'm restricting the amount of calories that go into my body or like looking at my dinner plate and be like, I wish there's more on this. It was just, to me, the foods are more filling and they feel healthier to me. Right. Um, I guess that's a pretty good segue into just talking about the ancestral health connection that we talk about so often with the show and all of the things that we're talking about and for lack of a better term, like hacking our biology. Like we were a certain way, we were in certain conditions for so long and for me, I mean, you guys can tell me what you think, but it just makes sense that we had long periods of time where we didn't have any food. And then when we did have food, a lot of times it was animal-based sources. Like getting like a ton of carbohydrates would probably for most areas of the world been really hard for our ancestors. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you think about like the, just like wheat in general, even places in the world that had wheat, they didn't have these like gigantic fields full right. of wheat. They were small crops. So, I mean, aside from, I don't know, maybe the Asian countries where there was a lot of rice prevalent. Yeah. 
that's probably like the areas of the world where you could see a lot more carb intake. Or they're stumbling upon like there are certain times of the year probably they're more abundant and they stumble upon a field that had apple trees in it or something like that. But for the most part, that's not a main component of their diet. Right. It's a and, small and, portion. And as far as we know, those people would literally eat all of it right, right. then. Right. It's um, only going to last a short amount of time. You'd be, you know, the, the nest from the bees falls in the ground. You eat the hive and then you move on. That's like, that's all you had. You didn't exactly. Have also, they didn't really have storage methods for True. food. So yeah. you had to eat it while it was fresh or else you were eating rotten food and probably didn't feel that great. Exactly. And there's this, there's this thing where we've made our lives too easy. We made them easy enough to survive, which was the goal originally, I think. And then now they're so easy and everything's so abundant and over abundant that it's become a huge problem. And we can take a step back and say, I can choose to, to make my body more resilient at a cellular level by being able to fast, by being able to take in fat and protein, which will sort of satisfy my hunger and, you know, let me, you know, sort of control what's going on. And this scenario where we, whatever we want, whenever we want, makes us so much less robust at a cellular level, makes it really hard for our bodies to get bigger and faster and stronger and tougher and more resilient and all of these different places. Um, and even just in a diet, I think that's important. You know, we have the hot and the cold episode. We have the fasting episode. We have all of these places where we can choose how long to fast. We can choose how cold to be and for how long, how hot to be and for how long. It's not like a life or death situation anymore. We can build resilience on, you know, it's no different than all of us are so familiar with a, like a training program. Right. Same concept as strength, but we can extend it out to our diet. We can extend it out to things like hot and cold therapy. Um, one thing that's in, I think is important when we go down the rabbit hole of ancestral health is we, you know, sort of throw up the sign that's like, this is not, this episode is not about a paleo diet because a paleo diet is essentially easily. just saying we're only going to eat things that we're pretty sure a caveman ate. Right. And a lot of, so much of that is just sort of the style of an elimination diet. We're going to take out a bunch of things, almost all of them that we're taking out are unhealthy in a certain way. And what we're left with is really hard to have a bad diet on. It's made to be like black or white. So there's no like gray area of like, should yeah. I eat this or shouldn't I eat this? It's like, did they have it or did not have it? So, yeah, I mean, that black and white mentality is super challenging. I mean, we went from, you know, we've, we've been in this community now for about a decade, which is crazy to think of like a third, yeah. a third of my life has been spent in this community and it was paleo. And then it shifted so far from paleo with if it fits your macros. Yep. And then I don't know if this community is shifting to keto, but keto is a very like hot topic right now. And I feel like it's this like back and forth and back and forth. And one of the big things that we're going to talk about today is it doesn't have to be that way. It right. doesn't have to be, I'm in this camp. You don't need to extend your tribalism past your group of friends. <laughs> it does not need to extend into your beliefs on absolutely everything. You don't have to connect that. Like you and I don't have to have I can't the same talk to you because you eat cereal. I can't do that. Yeah. We, you and I do not have to have the same diet. Like that's not where we need to be. So the point of this podcast today is to educate on what a ketogenic diet is, the different styles of a ketogenic diet, 
what it actually is. And then probably most importantly, towards the end of the episode, we're going to talk about maybe some uh, misplaced ideas on the ketogenic diet. Um, Because again, it's not black and white. You can eat way too much on a ketogenic diet. I'm just going to throw that out there. And that will piss people off that are in the ketogenic community. And that's okay. Not too worried about that. So what we're going to do right at the very beginning here is just what is actual ketosis. Um, Ketosis is a state in which restriction of dietary carbohydrates or fasting creates very low levels of insulin, blood sugar, and liver glycogen. Once the body makes it through the process over a period of time, the liver begins to produce ketone bodies from fatty acids, fatty acids, fatty acids, which turn into fuel for the brain, heart, and muscles in a very similar way to glucose. Now, as far as I know, with everything that I've read, similar to glucose is the most that I can say. The only asterisk here is our boy Cody Mooney (laughs) could potentially qualify for the CrossFit Games this year on a ketogenic diet, which we've seen in person him defy what the books say about what you can do without carbohydrates. He's faster than you. I'm talking to everyone on the bike. He's faster than you in 400 meter repeats. He's faster than you in five. He's faster than almost everyone we know in the places he's not supposed to be. Oh man, those textbooks were wrong. I think we've known for a long time that those textbooks, that black and white thinking is not correct. Maybe his ancestry, they were extremely active and did not have as many carbohydrates that kind of thing. Yep. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But as far as I know, like let's say Cody Cody came to me and was like, because um, he's working with someone specific right now and I don't want to say who it is because I don't know who it is exactly. <laughs> um, and he said, what should I be doing? I would probably, from what I know, put him on this something similar to what you're on. Yep. The refeed being as part of it. Um But again, I said similar because that's what I know right now. We could shoot a podcast in a year that contradicts what we're saying today. And I'm okay with that. It's the nature of science. Yeah. How it should be. I mean, you shouldn't say it's black or white. This is how it is forever because it's constantly evolving. I am not in the keto tribe. (laughs) (laughs) So again, I just think that 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 sort of thinking, it's it's important to have an open mind when when you're dealing with all of this stuff. And... If, if someone's like, okay, cool, you just told me about insulin and ketone bodies and fatty acids and all these different things, the way that I like to think about it is it makes sense to me that if we were starving and dying and when someone's starving and dying, they get emaciated or whatever, that you would actually turn, you'd eat your fat off your body. Your body would eat itself. That's essentially when we're turning into fat burning mode, into ketosis. That's when that happens. We create energy through the fatty acids that are in our body. That way of explaining it's fairly simple to me. Um, Another thing, common misconception, people think that um, becoming fully keto adapted and your body turning into fat burning mode are the same thing. (laughs) Everyone's body turns into fat burning mode overnight. You get to a certain point in the night and your body's going to get into that and go there. And one of the most common examples of how to measure this is Um, One of the ways to measure ketones, those keto sticks that you pee on. Um, When you are in fat burning mode, your body will produce ketones 
and expel them through your urine because your body doesn't know how to use them. So create the ketones. Your body's like, uh, never seen these before. What are these? We don't use these. When you wake up, you're going to give me sugar. We're all good. (laughs) And you pee them out. And that's why those were really popular back on the Atkins diet. They wanted to see it was working. Yeah, they wanted to see if it was working. The problem is it's only it's only going to show up when it's actually not working. So you are starting to get into ketosis, but if your body becomes efficient, then it doesn't expel them. So if you're saying if you're using these strips and you actually are fat adapted, you wouldn't see the same amount of ketone in your urine. So when you have the ketone strip and you're like, oh, cool, it's bright red because I'm doing it right. And it's like, oh, actually, you're not quite doing it right. So that might actually change because I know some people that use those strips to check and they might be like, you know, astounded at the fact that, oh, this actually means I'm not fat adapted. It just means I'm peeing out ketones. Well, you would assume that on a ketogenic diet that ketones would be like worth their weight in gold to to your muscles and your brain and you know, all of these different things. If you're peeing them out, it's sort of like when people are taking synthetic vitamins and they're peeing turn them out. bright green or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Looks like, you know, those, those animal packs. What's that? Yeah. The animal packs. Those are crazy. You pee Mountain Dew. <laughs> so essentially after that not, period not, of time, not in taste, just in color. Well, did you, did you, try, did you try it? it? Yeah. Oh, the smell that's a good point. would lead you to believe that that statement's correct. Like asparagus flavored Mountain Dew. Yeah. Oh my God. That sounds, sounds horrendous. So delicious. <laughs> mm. So over time, once you stay in fat burning mode, your body becomes way more efficient at delivering ketones to your brain and muscles. And that's actually something where you get into a scenario of how efficient, you know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to, are you using a ketogenic? diet for mental clarity are you using it for performance and that's when we start to get into this science where we're not a hundred percent sure how all of it works there really isn't especially in the current community where it's like people confuse ketosis with ketoacidosis and think that people are going to die from going <laughs> on this diet so um that's another thing that we'll get into but what's what's really awesome is eventually the conversion leads to more fat burning enzymes. It increases the number of transporters that move the ketone bodies to your organs as opposed to expelling them. It increases the number of mitochondria. And we've dug into mitochondria recently in recent episodes about, you know, what we're trying to accomplish with endurance and, and all that. And, um, it actually increases the efficiency of the mitochondria to make energy. So that process, um, according to who I would consider the leading expert on this within what I would consider our community is Dom Dom Diagostino. He says three to six months is how long it takes. That's a commitment. To become fully keto adapted. And he's, I don't know, there's just something about the meathead scientist that's like, I believe this guy (laughs) because he's not like, I don't know. You guys, you guys know what I'm trying to say? He's relatable. Yeah. yeah. He's super relatable because he has these like these goals that could seem, I don't know, bogus to other people like in his own community. Like he's the dude who fasted for a week straight and deadlifted 500 for 10 reps. Impressive. Ouch. Uh, uh, after a, <laughs> well, after a seven day fast. Like, well. yeah. For anybody that doesn't know who he is, you really should check his stuff out. He's been on Rogan's podcast. He's been on Ferris. Tim Ferriss's podcast multiple times. He's been on, I think he's been on Rhonda's 
podcast. Those are three of, you know, the best people to listen to when it comes to this stuff. And if Rhonda has someone on her podcast, if she needs information from someone, then you that's know. That's crazy. Yeah, that's really yeah, crazy. You know that that, that person's there. Um, so that's sort of ketosis 101. Not the ketogenic diet 101, but ketosis 101. Um, the true... This is, this is, again, when we get into the black and white, someone will argue with you whether you're on a ketogenic diet or not. Who cares? So the therapeutic ketogenic diet is 70% fat, 25% protein, 5% carbs. This diet was developed at Johns Hopkins University for epilepsy. It works very well for epilepsy. Um, that is the, the place where science will stop and say, you're right. Like, this works here. Well, at least some part of the scientific community. Johns Hopkins is, you know, they do the like psychedelic research as well, the MDMA for depression and all these different things. So they're, they've always been a little bit more on the side of if it works, let's do it. You know, maybe you could consider that liberal. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, but where the rest of the community is, is, is going with this, it's not just epilepsy. It's cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, diabetes, brain injury, metabolic syndrome, hypoxia, migraines, wound healing, endurance, brain resilience, hunger, craving, sleep, quality, weight loss, and athletic performance. It's a long list. That is a long list. And I didn't want this episode to be that style. Oh, just lists? I wanted it to be informative on a, yeah. on a actionable level. Um, but there is really good research on that stuff. Say there's like a common theme with most of those things on that list you just gave, and it has to do a little bit with the inflammation, which I'm sure you probably have a little spiel to give us later on in the podcast, but that, I mean, that's crazy to think. I mean, if you look at that list that deals with probably nine out of 10 people that you know have some issue or know somebody that has one of those issues and could benefit from trying this to see, at least see if it works for you. I mean, it's one of those things where you're the N equals one experiment. Try it, see what happens. Give it three months of your life and you might find that you fix your health. <laughs> um, so when, when we're on a true ketogenic diet, it depends on how active you are. It, it has to, right? If we're yeah. burning through energy or just not burning through any at all, it would matter how many carbohydrates are in there. Um, when you have a super active person, they could be on a therapeutic ketogenic diet at like 50 grams or less a day and 20 grams or less a day if you don't do anything. And you got to feel like after reading that list, a lot of the people that are trying to change those things in their life are probably closer to that 20. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, what's really important about this is it's really no carbs in the way that we think about carbs, especially as athletes. It's net carbs from vegetables. There are no carb sources on a therapeutic ketogenic diet. There's no tuber. There's no sweet potato. There's no potato. There's no rice. There's no grains. There's no nothing like it's yes. You need a ton of vegetables and we'll get to that at the end. That's a really important part of this, but we say carbs. We, I mean, indigestible, you know, the fibrous. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what I think a lot of people would be interested in for maybe themselves, maybe that therapeutic ketogenic diet. We're talking about that. We're talking again about going all the way back to episode two and tribes and helping out people in your community and family members. That would be the therapeutic ketogenic diet for a lot of people trying to convince somebody to, to try to tackle that. Um, the low carb diet would be one. I think that a lot of people 
that listen to this podcast would personally want to jump into. And that looks a little bit different. It's often referred to as the low carb, high fat diet, modified Atkins, that kind of thing. Atkins was a giant step in the right direction for an opportunity for people to lose weight Mm -hmm. in our society specifically. And you, it seemed like it worked really well for like a hearty, like hardworking man that still wanted to have his, you know, his bacon and his eggs and that kind of thing. Like so many of the people that I know that benefited from Atkins were like big dudes. And I use the word dudes, like, you know, as a term for like, you know, the manly man, like that kind of thing. I just like people's dads. I remember being, I I remember being younger and hearing about all the dads on the Atkins diet and they loved it. So like, I can have cheese and cheeseburgers and all these different things. (laughs) It was a step in the right direction. The problem was it was sort of like the zone diet in that they did, they were like, just eat crappy versions of this same food. Whereas the ketogenic community is going to tell you, you know, yes, cheese is ketogenic, but cheese is raw. Cheese is from grass fed cows. Um, you know, these fat sources need to be good. If they're, if it's not good fat, then you're, you're still killing yourself. Like, can't be taking the canola oil to the face. Ooh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why anybody would want to. So the breakdown on, on this diet looks a little little bit more like 60% fat, 30% protein, 10% carbs. Um, other ranges entering the realm of possibility bleed into the, the next topic and the next diet, which is, um, I guess, I guess you could go from like hobbyist to like a little bit further in your athletic pursuits would be maybe where we would draw the line on this. I think, uh, someone who's just trying to be healthy and exercises and isn't too worried about things like, you know, my 500 meter rows just didn't have the, my splints weren't, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're doing 500 meter rows, you're probably, you know, on a regular basis, you're probably a pretty healthy person. In general, I'd say so. That's especially if you're on this kind of diet. Um, the cyclical keto slash refeeds, um, the same numbers as above that 60, 30, 10 outside of a refeed window. Um, some people, I don't recommend this personally, but the cyclical ketogenic diet for a lot of people is like five on, two off, where they'll do um, refueling is like a whole day like cheat day kind yep. of a thing. Um, and there are some people that do five, two, some people that do six and one. Um, and then there's just that whole community of carb night or carb backloading. Um, so there's a bunch of different realms for this refeed thing. And I think it's important to say that if I was coaching someone and giving them macronutrient numbers, that it would be 60, 30, 10, roughly somewhere in that range. Um, when you're not training and when you are training, we treat that refeed meal as just its own thing. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't follow that same guideline of 60, 30, 10. It's just, it needs to be focused and it has yeah. a, a specific intent. It's not just, okay, you worked out, do whatever right. you want. It's, yeah. there's a specific, uh, like how many, how this. many grams of carbohydrates does it take for you to refeed roughly? Mm, probably somewhere between 100 and 150, but I mean that for me is way different than it used to be. It used to be closer to 400, and that was again when I said I maybe felt a little more achy or I didn't feel like I was eating as quality of food product. Now that 100 to 150 grams is of white rice, or it's of I like sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes kind of the things I go to too. But outside of that, 
that's those are my two main carb sources. Anything else is incidental. Maybe that's in some of the other food or is in vegetables, but there's, right. outside of white, white rice and sweet potato, there isn't much in terms of carbohydrate. Yeah, for me, it's it's actually really easy. I my weight will go up and down in relation to whether I have glycogen stores or not. Like if I know that I've eaten like crap, I'll I'll scoot up to like 190 and then I know that I will bottom out at like 185. That's my range all of the time no matter what. No matter what I eat, that's my range and it seems to be all based on glycogen. So I could go full keto for like and and not refeed at all and get back down to 185, but I don't seem to drop much. My body composition changes a little bit, but I don't seem to drop much from there. And on the nights where I, you know, rice noodle, a couple extra rice noodles, make it Shit. into the pot. A couple of ciders. Oh, no. I don't drink. Guys, what the fuck? What are you talking about? This is the magic world of the Misfit Project, okay? Where I that. only do the things that Body's I wish I only did. <laughs> Body's a temple. And in this scenario, uh, the rice noodles, you know, I just want more of them. I don't need more of them. I want more of them. It tastes good. Yeah. And I can see a direct relation between my body's like, mm, got a little extra glycogen in here. Like, so for me, a lot of it's about like, I can play around with and dial in how many grams of carbs I need to refeed after a hard workout just based on my body weight. How, how long did it take you to get to that point? Because I feel like I could go full keto for like 14 days and not really see any difference in my weight. So we're actually going to get to that and, and we can, we'll, we'll get to that pretty soon. So for, for me, what I essentially did was I started at roughly a hundred and then bumped it up a little bit, little bit, little bit until I started well, he's talking a, a little bit more about like just going keto and losing weight, like in within that window. Well that, and you're talking about one meal or one day yeah. you're seeing an immediate and direct result Correct. of too many rice noodles. Yeah. And I feel like when you're starting out, you're not going to see that type of like, it's not going to be, I had this big meal and now I'm no. five pounds difference. No. If I don't have that. No. Meal, so, so that will change sort of as we get down towards the bottom is the how to portion. He's talking about a sheet that he, that he has in front of him. That's what he means by the yeah, bottom. The <laughs> I'm talking to Ted and you guys. <laughs> um, I think that a an acclimation period is so incredibly important for people yep. where you can never truly be on any form of a ketogenic diet without getting fat adapted. And this refeed scenario that we're talking about would not get you there. Right. So um, this is more the different styles once you get into it. But these are, you know, I, I sort of lumped them into three categories. The therapeutic keto, where we have a goal of really improving somebody's health the low carb diet, which has worked for, you know, a long time for people. And then this concept of the cyclical keto where we're super low carb, but then we refeed based on the fact that we still believe based on science that we need glucose to perform high intensity, you know, that, what do we call it? 30 seconds to two minutes. Yeah. 30 two seconds minutes. to three minutes. Yeah, two minutes or under basically. Yeah. Cause Kalipa can stay in that for like four or five minutes they found at Harvard. <laughs> he's free. So he needs all the glucose or maybe he doesn't. Knowing him, he probably doesn't need anything. Doesn't, yeah, he's just, he doesn't even need to eat. Nah. He eats, I heard he eats paper. Pine cones. <laughs> oh, he God. loves pine cones. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to keep, I'm not going to respond. Okay. So, um, we're going to do, ah, 
I have an outline. I'm, I'm going to explain what I was what I was saying to Ted to the people that are listening to this. I have an outline for this, and I'm not sure that the order of it's fantastic, but we're going to stick with it anyways. Um, I wanted to end this podcast, the end of the podcast, to all be like, "This is how you do it, and this is what's right and what's maybe wrong," like that kind of thing. So, what happens prior to that is really kind of all over the place, and you know. <laughs> You guys are taking notes, we'll, right? We'll tie it together. We're going to tie it together. We'll put a nice little um, bow on it for you. <laughs> the two the two things that I wanted to talk about just because they come up so often in these podcasts or in a book or in you know an article um, before we get into like really what are we supposed to be doing here are the exogenous ketones um, and then measuring your ketones. Because some of a lot of this stuff, because people are like nerdy and into the biohacking and all of that kind of thing. Like these are two topics. They want to go straight there. So we're going to like check them off, but neither of these, in my opinion, are super important. Um, exogenous ketones, uh, they're a short term, I, you know, use the word biohack a bunch, short term biohack to get you into a state of ketosis rather than fasting or using the ketogenic diet to get your body to break down fats into ketones, ketone supplements, just put them directly into your body. The benefit is that you can experience ketosis almost immediately. The downside is they're not coming from you. You're not producing them. That's not, you know, you're not becoming fat adapted in any way. Um, you're not actually even breaking down any body fat. You're so wouldn't a downside be the fact that your body couldn't properly use the ketones too because it hasn't been used to using those ketone bodies Well, yet? so they're different. The okay. salts and the esters. So and they're they, able to be absorbed somewhat comparably to if you were actually manufacturing them yourself in theory? <laughs> The science isn't okay. Yeah, the science isn't there Rock enough solid. for me to say that I know. I've taken them and I've noticed a difference. I can tell you that. Okay. While not being currently in like the best fat adapted situation, um, people use them. One thing that that can be good is people use them as ketone supplements to support their ketogenic diet. So let's say that they, you know, you went on vacation or something, and you were like, "Man, I got to get back into this," but I feel like shit. So go on vacation, you eat too many carbs, it's Monday, you're back on the keto, but you get the keto flu a little bit. You can fake it a little bit, fake it till you make it kind of a situation. Um, also, you can just do that. Like if, if it's not just a keto flu, it could be like I'm trying to, I'm a, maybe I'm a keto endurance athlete and I'm literally using these ketones to fuel my workout. Or I'm a keto podcaster and my brain's not working <laughs> so hot, so I'm going to take some exogenous ketones to do the same thing. Um and it's just trying to experience the benefits of ketosis before your body gets you back there. Gotcha. And you do get back there sooner. That has been shown in, in studies. So it's not like that weekend or that week or that day is going to like absolutely ruin everything, um, which is good. The, the, the exogenous ketones argument right now is that people are actually, this is of course coming out of Silicon Valley, people are doing uh, carbs and ketones savages trying to double fuel their brains and their muscles and we have no idea on whether that's safe at all or not right like no clue i wouldn't even think like safe like is it efficacious like are you going to be able to use both of them or is your body going to be bouncing back and forth and confuse the shit like what do i do next kind of thing there are i've listened to multiple well-known people say that it's like rocket fuel mixing a carb supplement with a ketone supplement now, placebo, I don't know. 
maybe the maybe the effects well, of the exogenous ketones that I don't care if it, as long as it works, it works. I don't care if it's right. placebo. Well, you mix Adderall in there, and of course, it feels like rocket fuel. Yeah. Well, it's Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's some micro microdosing, microdosing Adderall. Who knows carbs. what's in that shaker carbs. bottle? True. Damn. True. Who knows what's in Sounds that shaker delicious. bottle? <laughs> <laughs> but for anybody that's that's looking to get into this. Um, it could be one of those things where once you actually became fat adapted, like you could use it, you could use exogenous ketones to really bump up that level to try and fuel your exercise. So if you wanted to stay keto, if you wanted to, you know, if we wanted to get into this tribalism thing again and it's black and white and I am keto, but you still had to perform certain activities that you weren't doing that well, that'd be one thing that you could do. That sounds like a t-shirt. I am keto. <laughs> I'll be the first Misfit Project t-shirt. <laughs> I am keto. Please, no. You can have a line through it. <laughs> we can make it, but it's got to have a line through you it. Got a cider in the back? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Um, so the the next thing that gets brought up all the time is how do you measure your ketones? We talked about the keto sticks. Um, they're perfectly fine. Just they're not going to work after they stop working. You're going to be like, but I'm I'm feeling better. Why? I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. That's normal. It's completely okay. normal. So people can use them if they started the diet and they wanted to know, like, am I doing this right? Am I actually making any ketones? But you want to do it right off the bat. And then once it goes away, that's actually a good sign. Um, the breath ketone monitors, the ketonics, I think there are more coming out now. There was this scientist that, if I remember correctly, I could be making this up. Sorry, internet, if I am. But I think maybe he didn't want to prick his daughter's finger anymore or something or his finger this is his daughter somewhere in this story and he was like well we expel these through the breath so i'm a scientist of course i can make something that a little pen that reads whether i'm breathing a certain thing i don't even i can't even begin to think of how that would work but um it's only expensive the upside to it's only expensive one time yeah i think i think mine was like maybe 150 dollars something like that um one thing that's good about it is it is accurate but the scaling of it is weird so like you would want to you could measure your blood like the the, the big thing i guess i should just say this now is is the keto sticks the or not the keto sticks but the um the things that you put into the blood ketone meter are super expensive the strips okay that's yeah. a, that's the word that i couldn't figure out <laughs> um really expensive like and anybody that's measured their blood glucose like i don't know one out of ten doesn't read and you have to put it put the thing back on so it's like thinking about that cost you're away. like you know yeah. it could be you know eight bucks a day like that would add up pretty quickly but one thing that you could do is you could match up your blood reading with your breath reading and then create your own scale for the breath reading. So let's say it told you you were at 65, but the blood was like, oh, you're, you know, you're at 0.5 millimolars, which would be good. Um, you'd know that that correlated back to the other number and you could create your own scale. You could know this is when I'm low. This thing's telling me I'm at a 40. It's just the numbers are just different. They don't really add up. They don't line up that well with the blood, but you could create your own scenario there. Um, I've heard leading experts say that it works really well and that it doesn't work. Interesting. Yeah. The same <laughs> experts? No. Oh, okay. There are mixed reviews on this thing. Now, 
lot of these people have podcasts. A lot of these people are sponsored by certain companies. There's, I don't, there's so much at play that I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know the answer when it's based on that. But one promising thing is because I look at this stuff all the time on my promoted Instagram feed, there's this company that's selling a blood ketone meter with the strips for cheap. It's like they have the tagline like price of a latte or something like that. So it's quite a bit cheaper. Do I know that it works? No, I do not. <laughs> so I don't want to say, hey, go buy yeah. this. I mean, so, someone could if they want so to So if you're trying it. a ketogenic diet and you want to test, do your research before buying anything. Absolutely. Do 100%. your research. Yeah. The, everybody knows this is all over every page that you go to. The Precision Extra is the blood glucose slash ketone reader that you would want. Very affordable. Not expensive. Um, used by, you know, leading researchers, stuff like that. Like just, it's kind of an obvious choice. The problem again is the strips that you put in. Um, and maybe you'd get better at it, that kind of thing. What I would personally recommend is if you were really kind of all in on this, you, you, you did your trial phase and you like the diet, it's working for you. You could just buy the precision extra and fork over the money for a decent amount of strips once and just test it every once in a while. And play with a little bit more fat, a little bit less protein, a little bit more protein. You know, play around with those numbers. Are you getting higher into ketosis? And if you are, is that any better for you? Are you noticing a difference? Athletic performance, you know, cognition, any of the things like that. Um, But the reading is super accurate. The numbers you're looking for. 0.5 0.5 millimolars per liter millimolars per liter is the measurement right, for yeah. ketone bodies um, is mild ketosis 0.5 to 1.5 is the place that a lot of people try to stay in a ketogenic diet um, all the way up to 3.0 is really hard to reach but some people are just just like we're different in our energy systems and how we build muscle and we're just unique individuals some people get there easier. Some people don't. And there doesn't seem to be much benefit after 3.0. Like people can get up to four and five from these crazy long fasts, but they don't. It's diminishing returns. Yeah. yeah. At that point, it's whatever. Now, we talked earlier about the confusion in the medical community between ketosis and ketoacidosis. Ketoacidosis is 10.0. We're talking about trying to stay between 0.5 and 1.5. Ketoacidosis, an ailment of people with diabetes, 10.0. So it's not going to happen. And it's hard to get to three It's if you're trying. You have to be really healthy to get to three. So something has Lots to be of broken to be no at No carbs. Yeah. Something's broken if you're getting to 10. Plus, if you were measuring and you got up into the, you know, the six or something, you could go see your doctor. That would be a pretty easy thing to do. But that's... That's literally some of the brightest minds in medicine will instantly say, you wouldn't want to be in ketosis. That's, you know, you're going to die. <laughs> so, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Jeez. So um, we've made it through uh, the hard part, the part of, you know, what is this and what does it look like and what are exogenous ketones and how do you measure them? You know, how do you measure ketones, that kind of thing. Um, now I really want to talk about like, why does this actually work? 
why does the ketogenic diet work for so many people? Why would somebody want to be in ketosis? The short answer is just blood sugar. It's controlling your blood sugar. It's controlling those swings throughout the day where you get hungry, where your mind's not working as well. Being a slave to carbohydrates is a really tough thing to maintain, especially if you're an adult, you're, you know, you're a working professional. That's not an easy diet to be on. Um, and the enhanced benefits come from the fact that fat and protein release more peptide YY, which tells your body that you're full versus carbohydrates. They were so scarce for so long that our body's like, yes, come more, on, let's more, go more fuel, fuel me. Um, and that's where the reward systems come from. There's so much going into that. And a lot of people think that it works because fat is this magic nutrient, you know, macronutrient that can't do anything wrong. And that's where we get into this keto camp where it gets very confusing for a lot of people. People don't like to know the fact that if our cells are full of energy, we create adipose tissue, carbs, fat. It doesn't matter. The fact that we know that ketosis is based on you burning your own body fat means that if you eat too much and you're in a surplus, it doesn't work. I almost wanted to make this entire podcast to say what I just said. <laughs> it's so important in this conversation. Like this isn't about a fad. This style of eating can do so much for the health of all three of us here at this table, loved ones, performance and athletes, whatever it is, you know, being metabolically flexible, all these different things. But it works if we're at a deficit. Your analogy, I think you use, I've heard you say it to a bunch of different athletes before because that's primarily who you work with. Is if the car is full of gas, you don't put more gas in the car. If you, if you're if you add a surplus, if you have what you need, you don't need to add more. But we're typically talking about glycogen stores. We we are true, but this uh, this analogy could apply to just eating in general yeah, too. Yeah, the gas tank is cells. Yeah, and it's like, no, dog, I'm good. Let's make some fat. It's on like your a body. car though can always have more. The car will always take more if you want it to, but it's not necessarily going to make the car perform better, make you feel better, kind of thing too. Right now, the argument would be that if we don't add the fat to the carbohydrate, then it's not necessarily triglycerides. It might be a little bit more heart healthy. I'm not trying to talk about scenarios where being overweight is healthy. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that. I know that there are tons of studies that show that, and this is a dangerous statement, but a ton of studies that show that people that take in less calories live longer. Oh yeah. In these periods of going, and I think so much of it has to do with those periods where we don't eat anything. I think that's such a huge part. I mean, we went into it in the intermittent fasting episode yep. with the, you know, the autophagy, like these things we're supposed to give our bodies this time. So Break. maybe it's not, maybe it's, you know, the whole causation correlation thing with the lower calories. Those people probably have longer stretches where they don't eat and they can repair cells and, and do all that stuff. Um, so if someone wants to try this, if someone listens to this episode and decides that they want to try this diet, um, a number one is those fat sources need to be really healthy. Avocados, raw dairy, coconut, healthy fats. You know, olive oil is healthy. Um, some of the healthiest protein or healthiest fat on earth comes from animal protein. So grass-fed beef, pasture-raised pork, you know, eggs, that kind of thing. 
it has to be healthy. It's funny to hear you say that right now because currently with that food sensitivity, I can't have coconut. I can't have um, can't have dairy. So like the things that I had in the past used for sources of fat, yeah. I'm not having. So primarily for me, it's animal sources, um, a little bit of olive oil here, um, but it's still doable. So those of you that think that like, maybe I don't like avocados or maybe I don't like eggs, you can still do this. You have to find your own sources, but right. it's definitely doable even if you aren't necessarily a big coconut guy or like avocados. And we can probably do an entire, we can get Manea back in here and do an entire episode on what this inflammation process looks like and how if you have this food sensitivity test done, what does it actually mean that you're sensitive to these foods? Can that change? Which the answer is yes, yes. that kind of thing. So I think that's probably, that's an excellent topic, but it's probably too robust. Oh yeah, I don't even go into it right now, but something down the road. So essentially the what you're saying is even if you either don't like those foods or, you, or you find out yeah. that you have a problem with them, that this is still doable. 100%. Um, and the next thing is is the Atkins diet. I mean, you didn't hear anything about vegetables. And we can create this amazing gut biome with the absence of those carbohydrates that our body's begging for, that there's those little gut bugs are actually controlling your food cravings. But we need that insoluble fiber. We need greens and vegetables to go in there and, you know, ferment and create this scenario where the fat is actually digested properly. Like we've all had, I assume, what I call the fat soup meal where you try to make a keto meal and then it ends up being a little too liquid fat and then your body's like, nope. Done that with eggs plenty of time. You're going to the bathroom. <laughs> plenty of time with eggs. Well, that's one of the things that I do. One of the things that you can tell this like synergy between foods being together. Like when I do a lot of butter, but when I do it with eggs, the eggs like soak up the butter and I digest that way better than I would if it was that amount of butter with like, let's say like ground beef. Mm. My body's like, okay, like from a cellular level or something, as something it goes changes. down in, yeah. it's not, it's, it's easier to take in when it's surrounded by, you know, all these micronutrients and, you know, it's been absorbed and like almost like emulsified, that kind of thing. It's so much easier on your stomach. Um, but vegetables are this massive part of this diet and they need to be, I mean, the people that have really good luck with this, every one of them talks about how their lunch is this like, you know, serving bowl salad with <laughs> protein and fat added on top of it that you always hear that you hear that from all of the experts on this topic and it's so important because people think that this is again we're kicking it back to atkins and this entire diet's just steak and eggs um it just isn't it, it's definitely not um for someone trying this fasting is one of the easiest ways for your body to get used to um getting over being, you know, dealing with the carb swing and all that. One of the easiest ways to get used to this diet is to add fasting in. And I won't even get into that. I'll just refer you back to the intermittent fasting episode. Um, a lot of stuff there. The, I, I can't say it enough. You cannot lose weight on this diet. You can definitely maintain weight. You can use, lose a little bit of weight just in that muscle glycogen, but is that really losing weight like body fat? No. The answer is no. Um, <laughs> you need to be in a deficit. And you, everyone that listens to this podcast knows that I'm not one of those calories in, calories out guys, but I'm also not the type that says it doesn't matter at all. Who cares? It, our, the, the laws of thermodynamics don't work in your stomach. Well, 
eating more food and being less active does something. It adds that's, weight. Yeah, to, it's not something good. It adds weight to your body. You need to be in a deficit, and that's where we can take something from that community: calories in, calories out. Um, I am not the biggest fan. I won't say what app it is, but there's an app out there that if you don't lose weight, it just knocks the calories down. I like that, but I don't like that they say just eat whatever based on the... So we can take something from that community. I love that idea. I love the idea of being, you know, if you're a macro coach and you're out there and someone has X amount of calories and you really believe in the breakdown of macronutrients, but just based on their body and their activity levels, just a little bit too much food. Knock it down. Knock it I down like again. the accountability feature too. If anything else, again. like you just get become more aware of what you're putting in your body. Even Absolutely. If, even if you're not drastically changing, you're going from 3,000 calories in one week to 2,000 the next, which would be a drastic change. You're just aware of what you're putting yeah. in your body. So if nothing else, even if you don't change your diet, you're just aware of what's going inside. Right. So it's easy to keep track and, and then make adjustments slightly here and there if you need to. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a glorified food journal. Yeah. yeah, and absolutely. food journaling is, I mean, I'm sure there's studies on it. I haven't read any, but I'm sure that it creates that accountability. It creates that kind of self-check system. There have been studies done on you lose weight if you take pictures of your food. Just that. Not even writing it down. It's kind of a food diary in yeah. and of itself. Yeah, yep. you're just taking pictures because people are like... The, the, oh, the, fuck, the, what is that? <laughs> well, there's that, but there's also the shame of they did a study where you had to send someone else, you had to send each other your food. And they're like we made sure that people didn't lie. And it's like, I do not want to send a picture of a bag of peanut M&Ms to my friend, <laughs> especially mm, if they're doing well. I want to send peanut M&Ms to myself. Sorry, beside the point. <laughs> this is the magical world of the Misfit uh, keto, Project. Uh, M&Ms. Keto M&Ms. Keto <laughs> M&Ms. Um, and, then, and then one place that I think that's really important because of our listenership. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. It is. Um, where, where would you put it in if you're uh, an athlete? How do you start this? Um, some sports have off seasons. That's a great place to put it. Some sports have decreased volume seasons. That's a great place to put it. And then one amazing place to put it is during an injury because of this inflammation thing that we're talking about. So if you're injured and you're like, what the heck am I going to do? How do I change my diet? We got to knock down those calories. We got to up the fasting and we got to go to a little bit more of a fat adapted diet where it's really good protein, really good fat and a high micronutrient profile through vegetables and actually the, you know, the meat itself. So, um, I would recommend that everybody try to find that like two week period in a year where they can go back to like fully fat adapted. I don't disagree with you. I find that this has worked really well for me. So something like this, where you're a little uncomfortable for a while, you get the keto flu. My, my wife actually tried this recently and she had an issue with, those first four days, she goes, I feel like I'm going to die. And it's like, you know, it is a little bit uncomfortable at first, but at the same time, she felt so much better once she did get adapted to it. So, yeah. And the, if nothing else, the problem that, you know, one third of the United States population is diabetic or pre-diabetic. There's a lot of good benefits here. I mean, in, in it, how you interpret feeling like crap is really important. Like, I don't want to feel this way. So I'm going to go back to the way that I was eating or, man, that's bullshit that the way I'm eating is making me feel this way. Like I shouldn't be like, I'm in control. Oh, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't feel like a smack head, like, you know, trying to, to get off the, you know, the chips or, you know, what are the ciders, you know, or the tacos or the pizza, the noodles. pasta, um, <laughs> you know, I shouldn't feel that way. I should feel like I can control these things. And what's great about that is then you can go into that sort of diet where, you know, 
Ted and I have very different goals than you. And I want to feel like if I go out to dinner with my wife or if I'm like having friends over for dinner that I can have whatever the hell I want and then get back to the way that I want to diet the next day. And that's a really doable thing on this style of eating. It's really doable to like not be like, like everyone knows that person that does like whole 30 and then eats like candy only for like seven days. Like it's like that it's like all the way up or all the way down. And that's, that's, in my opinion, a place that I don't want to be. I always want to be able to, I know that I've gone too far on whether it's a vacation or a weekend. I know that I've gone too far if I can't make it back to where I want to be. Cause, cause I'll catch myself. I'll be like, damn it. I really want that right now. And that's, I shouldn't, that that shouldn't be the case. I've worked hard enough, you know, in other months and other weeks and other days, you know, very recently to not crave this kind of thing. And that's when I like really kick myself out of it. I'm like, this is it. I'm done. I'm done, you know, going to that place. And that's going to be like a constant thing for people reevaluating all the time. Is this how I should be eating? You know, do I need to get back into upping my fat a little bit more and maybe even knocking down my protein, that kind of thing. So, um, I think I got the, I think we got the point across Yeah, yeah. what this is, how you could try it, maybe what it's not. Um, and, and really if, if anybody out there is like, what the heck are you guys talking about with what, you know, I have my athletes do. It's a lot of fasting. Um, it's a lot of high protein, high fat during the day. And then if they work their butt off, it's high protein, high carb, low fat for one meal. And then back to, back to it. It's a pretty easy way to explain it, right? Super easy. I mean, I think for me, one of the biggest changes is once I decided, or once you made it clear to me that when you're eating your carbohydrate source, that you don't have it with your fat source, that you're able to utilize the carbohydrate better. For me, at first, it was a little bit of adjustment because everyone knows how good like a baked potato is with a big old stick of butter like on top of it or like white rice with butter in it. Both are really good. Or but, a cider and pepperonis. <laughs> or a cider and pepperonis. <laughs> JK, but, uh, people. JK. <laughs> But Match for, made inside heaven. joke, <laughs> but for me that worked pretty well, and yeah, I, that, for me that's all I need is that one meal a day that has the protein and fat in it, or protein and carbs in it, and then I'm good to go back to the norm, the my usual diet, which is right. primarily fat and protein. And really, the only scenario where you know we're getting off topic here, and this is becoming just more of a general diet thing, but the only scenario where high fat and high carb comes into play is one of those people that just cannot gain weight at all where they almost need to gain weight, even if it's not the greatest spot or something like that to be able to, you know, in the sport of weightlifting, mass moves mass. And if you can't gain weight, you might sacrifice a little bit of efficiency to, you know, add 10 pounds. Yep. That's really the only scenario where that would be, you know, recommended. And then there's the other camp that's more a little bit of the high carb, low fat. Um, you know, it is what it is. It's it's one of those things where if, if someone really just needed to stick to that diet, I would beg them to care more about the food quality. If they, you know, are like, this is the way that I want to do it. This is what works for me. I would just try to get away from, you know, yeah, donuts and cereal and, you know, that whole thing that takes over Instagram all the time. So I hate it. You don't hate donuts. No. I hate people preaching that being a healthy lifestyle, but I love donuts. <laughs> We don't hate anybody here at the Misfit Project. We like to live in the gray area. <laughs> it's not black and white, ladies True. and gentlemen. True. We have anything else, guys? No. Can't no. think of anything, no. Well, 
that was the keto episode, episode 17 of the Misfit Project. Hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I know there was a little bit of a hiatus there. The next episode is going to be another q and I'm glad I remembered that. The next episode will be a Q&A episode. We've covered a lot since the last Q&A episode. So start thinking about your questions. We will post on social media where to put your questions and we'll jump back into that and we will record that very soon. We will not leave you hanging um, for another 10 to 14 days or so. Um, so get those questions in, get those questions in. We are at the misfit dot project on Instagram. We are misfitproject.com. If you have questions and you're not into it, Sherb's mouth and Facebook to me, but no one uses Facebook. We, we are, are on, Facebook. on Facebook as the misfit project. Yep. Um, and if you are not into social media and you want to ask me a question, uh, info at misfitproject.com. We will see you next time. Later. See ya.